The Production Expert Podcast with Mike Thornton, James Ivey and Julian Rogers. Welcome to the Production Expert Podcast number 370. It's the 20th of May 2019. I'm Mike Thornton. I'm James Ivey. And I'm Julian Rogers. Now, it's with a very heavy heart, because we've just heard about this, that we need to inform all of you of the very sad news that our amazing friend and talented colleague, Kevin Becker, passed away yesterday, the 19th of May, after a very brave fight with pancreatic cancer, which was diagnosed just before Christmas of 2018. The audio industry has lost a true legend, and our thoughts and prayers go out to Kevin's family, colleagues and friends. Russ Hughes has summed up all our thoughts with this. He was a huge talent, but best of all, he was one of the most decent people I knew in the industry. Even until the end, he continued to care about others. Rest in peace, Kevin. Okay, uh, James Deals. There are some great new deals from our partners like Avid, Focusrite, Sonoworks, as well as some great B-Stock offers on Avid products from RSPE on their deals page, on our deals page. That kind of made sense, didn't it? Um, Click the link in the podcast notes to find out lots, lots more. Okay, let's move on to Talking Points, and these are sponsored by Universal Audio. Good morning, children. This is Fab Dupont. The Pro Tools Expert Podcast Talking Points are brought to you with the support of Universal Radio. Until the end of June 2019, buy a Universal Audio Apollo Twin or Arrow audio interface and get Antares Auto-Tune Real-Time Advanced, Manly Voxbox, UA's Oxide Tape, Pure Plate Reverb plugins and many more as part of their desktop platinum vocal promotion. Just purchase and register any new Apollo Twin Mark II, Apollo Twin USB or Arrow audio interface and start recording album quality vocals with up to $896 worth of UAD plugins along with the included real-time analog classics bundle absolutely free. Okay, uh, first talking point uh, is a subject that we've actually been talking about on the blog quite a bit with recent posts, uh, with a couple of posts about using two compressors, uh, as well as our discussion about what is a limiter. So we thought we would just um, continue the theme and uh, talk about compression. Um, Well, I think let's start at the beginning. Uh, Why on earth do we compress um and what effectively are we doing with compression julian um let's kick into the you. professor oh yes. oh don't <laughs> this is I, i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna possibly repeat myself and, and hit a couple of my trigger phrases so i'll just get out of the way now when i was in education Ting. But, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but no this is something that does occur to me about this is we talk a lot about compression and um, for a start, half of the time we're talking about compression's really bad. Compression's killing music. Dynamics are good. Dynamic range is it, dynamic range equals good audio almost in some way. And then in the next breath, we talk endlessly about compression and using compression. Very often using quite a lot of it. And I never hear conversations like that about EQ. And it really strikes me about kind of like you know these are the two kind of like most important tools that we have after a fader, you know? 
And uh, there seems to be a huge imbalance in the kind of like the glamour, the cachet, if you like, of kind of like, you know, mysterious compression and uh, a boring old EQ. And, you know, I don't want to have to choose. Actually, I mean, we've mm-hmm. asked a few questions recently where we're saying you can't have both and people have gone, I want both. But you know, if I had to choose between having EQ or having compression or dynamics, I'd go with EQ every time. There's a reason why in every analogue console ever built, there's, there's EQ on every channel, but on relatively few there's dynamics on every channel so that's kind of telling me something but we still talk about dynamics all the time why is it i I think that's really interesting because you're talking about you know having to choose between dynamics and uh, between dynamics compression and uh eq certainly in my uh sphere of audio post-production in radio um I think I w- if I had to choose between them, I would almost certainly go for dynamics. Now, that may well be because I need to manage the dynamics of the content um, to go out to uh, a broadcast uh, transmitter. Uh, but um, maybe it's a different, a different uh, set of requirements. Um, but for me, I think uh, compression, the re- and by compression, we mean the effectively the reduction of dynamic range uh, by effectively making the louder things a little bit quieter and the quieter things a little bit louder so we're just making we're containing dynamic range more often than not um what that will often do is for instance vocals whether it's speech or or singing by compressing the vocals you get a more consistent um volume of sound which will sit more nicely over the the track the backing track the rest of the uh, arrangement uh, in the case of uh, speech um, it means that uh, the speech as in this podcast um, you're not having to constantly turn the volume up and down uh, throughout the, listening to this because we have uh, used dynamics we've used compression to manage uh, the relative volume of when we're whispering and when we're shouting uh, and also making sure that it's consistent between each of us. But um, what I think is possibly interesting is between your sphere of um, DAW usage mm-hmm. and mine, there are two very different um, reasons, shall we say, for using dynamics. Okay. Uh, I would say that um, in a post-production type world, you are usually using some kind of dynamic processing for um, compliance is perhaps the wrong word, but to to achieve an end result. Yes, Yes. protection. To achieve an end result. Whereas often in a more music sphere, you're using compression to achieve a psychoacoustic effect. As or in, for artistic, yes, creative for a, reasons. Yeah. So, for example, there is that common-held belief, whether you believe it or not, it is a common one, that putting a, a an SSL-style bus compressor on your drum subgroup, for example, acts as a kind of glue-type thing. It glues your drums together. It does this kind of psychoacoustic thing that makes drums sound better. Let's pull that apart, though. What... What what is that? Unstick the what, glue. What do you what do you think? What do you think that means? I've got a clear idea what I think, but I'm going to hold off until 
kind of, you know, I've uh, heard an alternative. <laughs> what, what it means, blimey, hit me now. Um, well, what, what's it doing? What, you know, I mean, what is that? I think it's, I think it's smooth. It's smoothing out transients. It's, it's easing up the the bits that stick out, the spikiness, okay. if you like. So, so perhaps uh, in a, a popular Western Western music genre, pop, whatever. Um, the, the pulse is on the beat, isn't it? It's on the on the two and the four with the snare drum. And in a dance music EDM environment, you might have kicks on all four. Um, and that to me, that's the that's the pump, that's the drive of the track. Um, now, what you maybe want to do is where there's a, a overly abusive or abrasive cymbal crash, that compressor might tail that in. It might just just bind it all together using um, gentle dynamics to just to knock a couple of dBs off the top end by, as Mike said, by bringing the top end down, you are effectively bringing the bottom end up as well as the noise floor. Let's not go there in a modern DAW environment. Um, <laughs> but I think it's it's doing something to the transients and just doing that kind of compress, compressy uh, kind of, uh, I, w- I would refer to it technically as glue. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting that we use this phrase glue, especially in this sort of context, um, where effectively, as you say, just uh, sitting on the um, the spiky bits, I think that's very, I mean, I know drums essentially are transient, but the things that s- stick out, you f- you the sense we get, and it, this is one of the challenges sometimes with audio in, in how to describe it, we get a sense that the drum kit is, instead of a set of, uh, individual spiky bits it becomes a coherent um not so spiky bit <laughs> yes not so, but but it's it it, it does ju- glue it together it's it is it's sometimes quite hard but that but that sort of process no doubt it, it there's no doubt that it actually just does bring uh, a drum kit together and make it a kit rather than uh, a set of drums you know, and, and, you know individual drums I mean that was only one example, but certainly when when I've got a more post production hat on, I'm looking at um, dynamic processors to achieve an end result. When I'm in music production mode, I'm thinking right, I want that that vocal to pop, or I want that particular kit to have a really nice image, or I want to do a trick where I'm uh, uh, side chaining a compressor to do something while it's letting a certain amount of other signal through. Um, maybe we're talking about parallel compression. Whoa, there's there's one for um, the oh, professor later yes. on. Um, <laughs> I must stop calling you that, Julian. I'm terribly sorry. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think we're looking at it from a more artistic, um, creative, perhaps, point of view, rather than just mm. one of meeting the numbers. And again, that's that's very much simplifying post-production. And I'm Indeed. sorry to any post-production engineers out there who are currently <laughs> about to throw things at me uh, or at their um, um, podcast players of choice. But um, yeah, that's a music guy. Well, but, a drummer. <laughs> yeah, but it's interesting you, you pick up that point because uh, you're right. Most of the time we will often use dynamic management, compressors, limiters to 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 make sure that we we are we're going to meet the compliance whatever the delivery specs happen to be um but one of the things that for radio that i do is i will often i I will rarely compress um contributors so interviewees so you know it's sort of documentary format so i will rarely compress the contributors um 
But what I will do is to lightly compress the presenter, the person doing the links, the, the gluing the program together. Because what that does is it actually, by lightly compressing the presenter, the, the it, what it gives is they actually come across with a bit more authority because they're slightly compressed compared to everything else. There's a bit more weight in their voice, and that brings, uh, for me, a level of authority. Um, I think it's probably one of the closer elements where I get to, to the, you know, the equivalent of creativity that you, we were talking about with music. But, but it is producing um, an effect, a style. Uh, obviously, when we move into drama, it's a whole different ballgame. Uh, but again, there's quite a lot of the dynamics that we're doing is to bring what ca- could be of quite a wide dynamic range of content in terms of dramatic uh, dialogue pre- presentation and um, containing it so that the listener at home I- in less than ideal listening conditions or on the train or in the car will be able to um, hear all the dialogue and therefore be able to follow the narrative i'm i would sort of jump in quickly on this on this thing about it's a good example the 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 ssl bus compressor um i i've kind of broken cover as it were with the kind of like the the audio community and i've said out loud in public yeah a lot of people talk a lot of guff about about compression, don't they really? And a lot of good, sensible things are, are, are said, but I've kind of said reassuringly, basically to students actually, that don't worry if you're kind of going, oh, really? Is that it? That's a really, is there a difference there at all? Yeah, that happens a lot. We're talking about some quite small differences here sometimes. It's not like putting a delay on something. But in terms of the uh, an SSL bus compressor, the first time I got to play with one, like a, a real one, I think my expectations were kind of possibly elevated because of the reputation i expected some kind of magic thing to happen and i went oh it's just a compressor and a really really transparent one so because of that you can't really hear it working until it's work well, even when it's working pretty hard you know because it's a it was designed to be very very transparent but you kind of tune into it and you get to hear you, you get to, I, I got it but it did take a little while to kind of tune into exactly what it was i was um listening for and what it's about and the crucial thing that we kind of haven't mentioned yet is the fact that it's on a bus it's on it's on either a two bus it's or it's on it's on the drum bus but the point is it's processing a complex signal of lots of things it's not being used as a channel compressor and because of that you've got this interdependence between all of the different levels of all the different instruments that are going in to make up that complex signal that's on that bus so when the snare hits it pulls down the level of of the rooms and the and the and the symbols when the kick it, it does the same and you get this kind of you know this movement is the best way to describe it. it's the most useful word i've ever come across to d- describe this thing for people who kind of cuz you it's a, it's a skill l- learning to listen to compression it's something we're not really used to if we don't live in the audio world lots i've seen I'm lots the, of people i'm the first one to admit that i i'm only now really getting mm. to grips with compression yeah, you know, uh, twenty something years uh, into and there's playing lots this of game. posturing that goes on around about around this stuff to some extent. I've found where people, I've I've heard lots and lots of people unwilling to admit that actually, kind of like, yeah, this is this this can be really marginal stuff. And sometimes going, yeah, you know, <laughs> we're in Woody Brown territory with without with without. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, it's it, that's fine. Just say it out loud. Of like, actually, 
those two things sound the same, you know, but sometimes they really don't. Sometimes it's really useful. And the best word that I've used in the past to describe the difference to people who are struggling with it is to say it's an interdependence and a movement within the sound. So as one thing comes, comes in, the other things get out of the way to some extent. And that's what the glue is that people mm. can maybe do or don't recognise. I, I, I found that really useful. My, I mean, my early compression experiences work because, I mean, when I first started using compression, like, you know, I was, I was, I was working in a studio, but it was a very, very low-rent studio, my first studio I, I, I worked in. And in that, we had the compressor. <laughs> and it was like, where are we going to use the, the compressor? You know, the idea of having having you know, compressors on every compression on every stage of a mix just didn't happen. So the first time I got the opportunity to like put a compressor on every channel, of course, I went to town, and it was like the first time I got my hands on a digital reverb. And you know, I mean, the reverb <laughs> tales from that are still ringing now, and they were put on in the in the early nineties. You know. <laughs> anyway, the, the, the whole point is that kind of like you know, you you go nuts with this stuff, and you end up with this horrendous, horrendous, big sucky, claustrophobic sounding, terrible racket that you know, and you've got to get that out of your out of your system. This brings me on to one of my bugbears, actually, which I think is really unhelpful for less experienced users of compression, and that's parallel compression. It's, it's a real bugbear of mine because it's a brilliant effect. It really is. It's so useful and mm. it's so forgiving. But because it's so forgiving, lots and lots of people use it as a get-out-of-jail-free card. So they just absolutely muller their sound with, with kind of it, really inappropriate amounts of compression and then just back it off so that it's to undo the harm. that. And it's kind of like... And I, I think, I think there should be some kind of certificate you've got to get first. Of I can use 100% wet, you know, uh, insert compression, channel compression before I'm allowed to access the mix control. <laughs> Just because, otherwise, I think people, when they're learning, are shortchanging themselves because they can get away with stuff that you cannot get away, you shouldn't be getting away with. And the whole point is, it's kind of dialing in. I might be being a little bit of a snob here, and if we so, are getting whatever. back to that learning the fundamentals thing once again aren't we yes that we that we um, i'm still learning the fundamentals and i'm quite old so <laughs> well, you know exactly you know it's pretty um, much what you just said isn't it i it's funny cuz i i went do you know what i'm trying to think what the first hardware compressor i actually got my hands on was and i'm looking at it now on a on their website not necessarily the real thing mm. and it was of course I don't know. The what was it? Drama. Oh, oh okay. well, it was a nice one then. There's it was nothing a good wrong one, with yeah. a drama. Yeah, um, DS uh, two forty one. Was that the one? Well, that's that's quite that's that's, that's the new down. One. The, yeah, I was I was thinking more like the because the two hundred one was the gate, wasn't it? Yeah, two hundred one's the gate. There was the four hundred four, which is the quad gate. Yeah. Um, hang on, I'm just looking. But the compressors down, but... were the starting with the, the four two one, wasn't it? Uh, no, no, no. Is no, that no, a that... new one? That's four four ones. The court. Uh, I'm looking yeah, down the f- website. Yeah, basically, it was a one of the black face drawers. Yeah. Could them, you hear what it was doing when you first pulled those knobs around? Absolutely no idea whatsoever. <laughs> exactly. I remember a friend of mine also had a a, a, a pre- compression um, boss Com- guitar yeah, pedal. compressor pedal. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was called the compression sustainer. Yeah, the blue and he went, one. And he went, "I'm going to sell this because it doesn't do anything." And yeah. I'm like, hmm. "Yeah, I've, uh, even I knew at that point." I think. You're kind of missing the point because I can see what it's doing on the needles because I had a four track mm. and you know I was like, well, we've got 
he's got a compressor and I can mm. borrow it. And I mean, we had um, the first half decent studio I ever worked in was a ma- oh, worked in made tea in from time to time yeah, was yeah, at a yeah. mate's house. Went to. <laughs> yeah, went went to and gave lots of my gear when I went away for a bit. Um, a way to work, not a way mm. <laughs> in handcuffs or anything like oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and he had a pe- pe- pair of these drawers, and I just thought, this is great. I have no idea. It, I have no idea what it's doing sonically, but I can see it doing something to the meters on our Fostex R8. <laughs> Um, so it must be doing something, I'd, and then I start, started, you know, l- trying to learn what this this crazy compression thing was, and actually, obviously, eventually went to university and learned what it was again, and still didn't recognise what I was hearing. And you know, some twenty years later, I'm starting to get it. I'm actually going right. I'm now achieving what I want to achieve from compression, and a lot of that actually is to do with the attack control. You hear compression in the attack phase, I think. Certainly with a kick drum, you can you can tame or destroy or or um, what's the word? Produce is, is perhaps the wrong word, but um, create an amazing sounding kick drum from the compressor and from the attack control. No one's jumping into mm. agree, which is always it's, worrying. It's, I, I don't. I mean, <laughs> no, I've, I mean, I've taught it, this stuff a lot, and and I used to I used to deal with the attack last because I thought it was the least important. Really? Yeah. yeah, that's yeah well, I would always set um, normally. You know, for for eons and eons, attack was always as fast as possible because I didn't want the transient to come through. Uh, so uh, obviously, having a very fast attack, and again, probably that comes from from essentially dynamics being largely a protection tool in my environment and workflow. You don't need to fry the transmitter, do you? Yeah. Um, but what is one of the things that's quite interesting is coming back to uh, sort of, again, management of dynamics is actually, um, and, as, and this has really sort of come into play with the change from uh, peak normalization to uh, loudness, is actually allowing the peaks through uh, in terms of uh, speech, but then having a slower compressor to sort of generally even things out. Uh, and again, it's, it comes back to this this ethos that we were talking about earlier, where actually dynamics is good, dynamic range is good. Uh, obviously, uh, again, eff- effectively when we're delivering content to an end user, I have to say up to a point, um, because obviously, if we have too wide a dynamic range, in essence, it it's in my view not playable by someone in a domestic environment. But but certainly uh, the the idea of of turning the attack control down, so you're actually letting some of the transients through, i.e., they're not being compressed, um, is something that I now do whereas before it was never on the equation because we also were working to peak normalization the last thing i wanted to do was to let peaks through uh, that would then uh, effectively mean that everything else was a lot quieter because we have to turn it all down i'm i'm going to go there again when i used to teach <laughs> there it is but um i i kind of did i I spoke to a lot of people who didn't know what this stuff was about, but had heard of it and wanted to talk about sidechain compression and parallel compression first, which was not appropriate. And what I ended up doing 
um, was I used to I used to start with gating. And Ooh, it was I very deliberate. That. Yeah, I understand that. Very, very deliberate. And it was because I wanted people to understand threshold first. And the most obvious mm. thing you can do is start with a gate and yeah. threshold. Yeah. And there you go. And I, I got a really nice little demo together, actually, using an old DS-201, the Drama DS-201, where I'd, um, I'd get, I don't know, generic rock kid in the room and say, could I borrow your phone and get to plug in, get to put on the noisiest gent metal or something, you know, just some kind of sort of square wave white noise music that would horrify me because I'm, I'm much too old to listen to it. And I said, okay, thank you very much. And, I'd, and the idea of being able to put on some music, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, this is my music, this is my heaviest tune, yeah. And I'd put it through a gate and then I'd side chain against it, getting it so that every time my voice exceeded the, the threshold, it opened up the gate and let the let the metal through. And then turning it up quite loud, I'd talk into a microphone and instead of my voice coming out, you'd just get this blasts of extreme metal coming out instead, which was hilarious and comedy and everything. But the point is, it's a really nice way to demonstrate what a threshold does. Once you've got that, you can then talk about ratio. Once you've got ratio down, you're kind of pretty much there. Then comes yeah. makeup gain. And then after that, you can start talking about time constants. The thing that people do that I think is just not the right thing to do is for a start, people explaining what each knob does, usually giving quite questionable explanations, actually. I've, I've, the, the standard explanations that go around online, most of them I'd question quite hard. Mm. But the other thing is that, uh, um, is that they usually start with drums, and I think that's completely the wrong way to approach it. Start with a spoken voice. Yeah. And kind of like the second thing I'd do, and I usually recorded this actually because um, uh, it's just much easier than doing it live. I mean, it's nice to do stuff live into a microphone, but this doesn't quite work. And I just record myself speaking very quietly and then shouting and then speaking at normal and, and saying, I'm speaking quietly, I'm shouting now, I'm now speaking quietly. And you could see the difference on the waveform. And playing it back, I'd just flatline the whole thing so everything came out the same level. And it's like, there you go. That's what compression does. And everybody got it. This is the point. Mm. Rather than worrying about bringing out the attack on a kick drum or, God forbid, side-chaining something, you know? It's like, <laughs> it's like this is what it does. <laughs> now we've got that, we can move on and get on with our day. So, yeah. Yeah, I could talk about this a lot, but I think I'll probably <laughs> get to get out of that or else basically I'll end up giving Compression 101, which... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's for another time. Uh, James, uh, what competitions have we got going? Okie dokie. Over the month of May 2019, we've partnered with our friends at Sonable to offer you the chance of winning one of three copies of Sonable's special AIEQ bundles worth €289. Euros. These bundles include Smart EQ 2, Proximity, Proximity EQ and Entropy EQ. You can find out more in the podcast notes down there. And if Julian's done the whole podcast mix thing right... You'll have heard me when I did the whispering thing. Okay. Uh, second talking point. Uh, James, you have completely and utterly overhauled your uh, performer monitoring system and gone all audio over IP. I mean, we, we often think of audio over IP for you know, shipping audio around big places, but you've actually been able to apply it to your facility uh it's not a huge multi-venue facility it's uh it's a studio with a live room and one or two other spaces that can be pressed into use um 
in the house, etc. And the garden. Um, <laughs> indeed. Um, I'm curious, what triggered you to think about using Dante for this sort of, yeah, to solve this problem? Because what were the challenges that you were facing that made you re-look at your performer monitoring setup? Um, okay, so I don't think I'll be alone in saying that the biggest hold-up to any session is usually monitoring. Mm. Headphones, monitor speakers. It's the it's the biggest thing on stage that causes the most arguments. I can't hear myself. And that that's you know, that's as yeah. soon as anyone starts saying, I can't hear myself, so and so's too loud, meh, 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 it all kicks off. Yeah. I wanted a system that I could maintain control of, whether I was uh, at the drums being record uh, self-recording engineering type person or sat at the console um and did i mention i use a audience <laughs> console ting <laughs> um so yeah i started to think about how how i could actually use this and make something flexible and expandable not drop a small fortune on a system but also have something that that would keep me and I I am pretty demanding when it comes to what I have in my ears when I record. Um, anyone who say when I play full stop, anyone who's ever worked with me on stage will know that that drum sound checks tend to take a while because I'm quite picky about what I can hear. So when someone says, "Oh, I'll just give you some overheads, a kick drum, and a snare," I'm like, uh, uh, "No, no, no, no," because I play with that, this thing we've already talked about dynamics, and I want to be able to hear it as if I didn't have the headphones on, because um, I can hear Tom Tom's in front of me. If there's a pair of microphones overhead, they're not doing the same job as my ears are. So I started to look into options and different systems and different bespoke systems and different sort of custom customizable systems that are already on the market. And there are a few, which I mentioned in the article, um, none of which I can remember off the top of my head right now. Um, and there is always, well, there's two limiting factors in this. One, it's normally the track count of what you can have on in the system. And the second one is the price tag that goes along with it. Now, if you are a, a huge multi-room facility, adding tagging an extra three, four, five, six thousand quid onto a, onto a, install price is probably not that not that horrendous um certainly if you're specking new buildings or new facilities you know it's something you need to consider but my monitoring system wasn't cutting it um even with the console it was very difficult to set up a monitor mix while playing drums and being in my drum room when it's all set up hardware across the console so i started to look for options um and employing various other bits of kit that I've already got. Also trying to look a bit more future-proof and look into um, modern uh, routing options and recording platforms, etc., etc. And uh, after speaking with various people, actually Julian, who is our captain of all things AOIP. No, not um, for much longer by the sounds of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, the good folks at Focusrite. And I was able to build myself what is currently a fairly small Rednet rig. But the thing we know about Rednet, certainly from, I mean, I think I had, I did the first Rednet review on on the site uh, five, six years ago now. I, I, 
an enormous rack load of stuff appeared. And I went, mm. I'll plug all that in and see what happens. And of course, the one thing you shouldn't do with any kind of um, AOIP audio solution is plug it all in and then try and work it out. You should really plug it in one at a time and see what's going on. Um, <laughs> fortunately, the whole the back end of things like Dante and Ravenna have all come along in time, and it's all a lot. It's a lot more straightforward now, but. The, the solution I have is based around my HDX card. Um, I'm still using my Orion 32 as my main recording platform. And various people have said, surely you've got plenty of channels on that. Uh, well, actually, no, I don't. Because have I mentioned I have an analog console? There it is. Someone else is getting drunk as well. Um, and that's using all 32 channels, which is why I was using the auxiliaries inside the console for my monitoring. This way... I can employ the other 32 channels that are on my HDX card or that I have access to on my HDX card. Um, I can run that through this rather lovely Rednet 5 box, which I bought from Focusrite, um, on their rather amazing B-Stock site. That's one for you to check out. And then I bought four uh, Rednet headphone boxes, effectively. I bought a pair of AM2s, which are just headphone and line outputs, and a pair of X2Ps, which also give me um, two mic pre's each. They're sort of, um, I think they call them Red Evolution mic pre's, built in to those devices, which, as Mike said, is very, very handy because it means I can run a dirty great long network cable up to the house. I wish I'd thought about putting network cable in the tube, but that's another story. <laughs> um, Put another I tube in. I can record in the house. I could record in the garden if it was things that were on DI. And in fact, I actually have recorded in the garden. I put a couple of musicians out on the deck, um, two keyboard players, and they thought it was hilarious because they were sat outside in the sunshine. Um, and I didn't have to worry about tons of extra cabling, one network cable out to another switch. Jobs are good. And um, it is a very, very cool system. Yes, the Pro Tools template has grown into quite a... Um, it's it's not a, not a big undertaking because quite frankly once you set it up you just bury those sends. Well, that's but, the great thing about templates is yes, what, exactly. you only need to do it once. It's all set up so people have a, a very good, very comprehensive drum mix. Um, so if someone says, "Oh, I don't like the kick drum that loud, but I want more snare drum," they can have it. Whereas with systems like Hearback and My Mix and and uh, Live Mix and all those sort of things, you can feed a generic drum mix into the system. But as soon as you start changing it for one person, you change it for everybody. Mm. My way, yes, it is more complicated, is completely independent. And it currently is independent across um, five different sets of monitors. I'm still running my master set, if you like, from the console. Mm. Um, and then everyone else, up to four people can have their own mixes. Actually, up to up to eight people can have their own mixes, but I would need to buy some more Rednet boxes. So in that case, doing that, James, do you think you're in danger of running out of sends in the Pro Tools mixer and, and on any channel ever? No, I don't think I am, because quite frankly, uh, I don't have, have any, really have more than four or five people recording at one time here. Mm. I don't see that happening anytime soon, even as and when I move house, move facility. I don't, I mean, five, five or six, I think is enough. If I need to go up higher than that, mm. uh, obviously I've got eight sends, eight, no, 10 sends. Oh, but Tools. do you ever, yeah, yeah. do you do effect sends from Pro Tools Mixer or do you do them on the board? They're normally done on the board. Oh, now, well, of that, course, well, if I, case, if I want fine. to put, yeah, yeah. but if I want to put effects into the Dante network mm. for, you know, to have reverb on your vocal fallback, mm. I need to use them. So I can probably have eight or nine 
mm. separate mixes, which I think is going to be enough for me. Yeah. I don't see me having 10, 11, 12, 13 players. Certainly not here. Um, who knows in the next space? <laughs> so, I mean, there's, um, there's a couple of things I, I can think of that sort of come up from this, just because, um, I mean, for a start, you did you have POE on your Switch before you started this? Or just did to you confirm to, what POE Oh, sorry, stands power for. over Ethernet. Uh, no, I don't. So nor are you do powering I, them from from adapters? They are currently powered powered from Woolworth adapters, oh, okay. which is not ideal. Um, and again, this is one of those. Uh, I do have a PoE switch. You know, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's noisy, and the reason I haven't put it in this room, yeah, is because it's noisy. Yeah. As and when you mean acoustically noisy? Acoustically noisy. The fa- fans inside, right? Um, yes, because uh, they're not made. They're not yeah, made routers to be, are not made to be in quiet spaces. Yeah. Yeah. This exactly. is a very common thing, and I, I bought when I when I first got properly interested in AOIP. I went must buy a switch, like a decent big switch, and I bought a nice big rack mounting switch. And then pretty much this, the the next day, I went, "What's POE? Oh damn!" <laughs> so I then bought another smaller switch, which is actually the one I use all the time because it's got it's got some POE ports on it. Mm. Actually, the other one was too big. Yeah, um, my, my, the Netgear one I bought. Um, secondhand through eBay oh. how, is POE, uh, but it is loud. So as mm. and when the next facility, and I'm, you're going to hear me mentioning this a bit mm. more um, <laughs> moving forward. Um, yeah, it's going to be the next thing, isn't it? I think it's going to be the next the next big thing. Mm. Um, so it won't be, oh, did I mention I've got an analog console? It's, oh, did I mention this new big facility? D- did I mention <laughs> I'm moving house? Yeah. So, yeah. James, uh, do, do you supply, um, when people visit you, do you supply headphones? Yes, because they can bring I, their own, but I have enough. Yeah, because because I had um, I looked at the the Neumann NDS twenties recently, mm, and yum. one of my conclusions from them though, those are not cheap headphones. I mean, they're, no, they're not they're the not. most expensive you can buy, but they're up there. You know, they're they're five hundred dollar headphones, and um, they're extremely nice. But I spent most of the time. Well? Wa- sorry. Aren't they open backed? No, no, they're closed here. Which, which is you, what, which is what I spent most of the time that. whining about. <laughs> yeah, right. For Julian to like a pair of closed ear headphones yeah. is fairly impressive. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like closed back headphones. They're they're a thing that have to be put up with when you have to put up with them. But that's that's my take on them completely. But something that I really noticed about them, and I, you know, I mean, I've I've got I've got DTs and I've got you know the, uh, whatever the what are the big round ones that I, I forget anyway, but like all the standard ones you'll see in in, in studios, um, I've 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 got or have used, and the thing that really impressed me about these is just the level of isolation, and that got me thinking, and I thought, hang on a minute, the the more isolated you are from your environment, not only the the you know the less loudly you need to run stuff because I mean we've all had that thing about running headphones too loud we know we shouldn't do it but we end up doing it and we end up really tired and but the other thing is just that the level of you know mix you're hearing compared to spill becomes hugely more advantageous to you mm. and I was thinking this is so so much more of a worthwhile upgrade to my headphone monitoring than anything else I could spend money on and. Mm. I think it's because you give headphones to people in studios that have people. I mean, certainly, you know, in in my working, it's been kind of like, okay, here's a pair of studio headphones. They're doomed, you know. And, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they, but the thing is, 
considering how much money we quite willingly spend on things that don't make that much difference to the results at the end of the day, compared to a good monitor mix and people who can hear themselves, and the effect that has on a performance, I think that's money well spent. And that was my big takeaway mm. from that, and I didn't expect to go there. I mean, I, I didn't drop a lot of, I mean, a vast amount of cash onto this system. Um, of course, if I want to put any more AM2s or um, X2Ps onto my Dante network, it's going to cost the amount of those units. That's fine. Um, someone said, why have you not just put a multi-way headphone amp on the back of the um, outputs of the Orion? Well, the truth of the matter is I'm using 32 outputs because I'm running across the console. Um this was a neat way to get me into this new a new world, a new way of thinking. Um, yes, from time to time, I am now going to be, I mean, there will be opportunities and there will be times where I need to uh, look at, review, try out some AOIP piece of gear loveliness. And I'm now kitted up to do that. I've got it straight mm. into my Pro Tools system. Um, there, are, there are lots of advantages to using this, this rig. It's very flexible. It's not. It's it's open ended. I mean, that, that's the thing. You know, I mean, one the, of the, the things I've been I've been able to do in this system is actually employ my Tascam DA sixty four hundred, which is also Dante equipped, and it now sits permanently running during an important session, and they're, they're all important. Let's face it, as a permanently running tape machine. So whenever anybody plays anything, it's captured across thirty two channels of the. The S four hundred, which is very very cool. I mean, you know, coming back to the why didn't you use uh, you know multi you know multi output headphone device? I mean, one of the problems with that a is you've now got to distribute headphone level signals on jack leads hither yep. and thither from a, from a central location. Yeah, uh, so you're probably possibly putting that down multi core uh, and so on and so forth. Um, or, or long leads, you know, up the house, etc. Uh, and the other challenge is that the performer doesn't have control of their overall headphone level. With what you've got now, yes, you will need to make adjustments to set their mix, but they can control how loud it appears in their headphones, which, Absolutely. of course, if you have a, 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 a multi-channel headphone amp, uh, you're still having to make that adjustment as well as all the rest of them. So... Um, I think and of course, it... other than this level, other than the, their master level, hmm. I can do everything still sat behind the drum kit with a mouse in one hand. Yeah, which is very powerful. Certainly, with hmm. a lot of the bands I'm working in, I'm also I'm playing and recording. Yeah, so that I'm locked in the drum room. They're out here in the the control the what I loftily call the control room stroke performance area these days, um, and they can say, "Oh, I, I need to hear more of this." Okay. Nudge that one a little bit. Is that better? Oh, that's cool. I say I've mm. used it. I used it for the first time. I've got sessions this week, um, and it just works. It's really, really good. Excellent. The Pro Tools Expert Podcast is created using Source Connect Now from Source Elements. Register now for your free account at now.source-elements.com. If you've ever tried to do interviews over the internet with apps like Skype, you'll know how hit and miss the audio quality and connection can be. And even on a good day, it isn't really good enough for a long-form interview. We now use Source Connect Now, which offers ISDN-equivalent quality audio using a Chrome browser. No software to install. To get your free account, follow the link in the podcast notes. 
Okay, uh, we'll move on to Find of the Week, and these are sponsored by RSP Audio Solutions. Our friends at RSP Audio carry every great interface on the market from brands like Universal Audio, Focusrite, Apogee, Avid, Burl, Antelope, RME, and many more. But if you're not sure what interface to buy, then uh, have a chat to RSPE's team and they can help you find the perfect interface to fit with your workflow and budget. And you can shop online at rspeaudio.com or contact their team with any questions and there will be an appropriate link in the podcast article for you to click on. So, find of the week. Uh, James, let's start with you. You're all expecting some uber piece of expensive rack gear or some uh, microphone made from myrrh and beryllium or something, aren't you? Well, yeah, you do kind of do have a track record on this uh, on this area, but... He's got ah, four. Well, this <laughs> way... <laughs> So I've been very fortunate recently to be working with Mike Exeter, who, amongst other things, was producer and engineer for bands like Black Sabbath and uh, Judas Priest. Now, we were working this week on um, some tutorials uh, based around all things drums. Can't think why that appealed to me. And he showed me this very, very neat trick where you have two microphones on a tom-tom, in this case it was, and you feed them to one track in your recording platform. And I thought, hang on a second, what's this all about? What's this, what's this magical voodoo? And it turns out there's a um, polarity trick going on there. Notice the term polarity mm-hmm. there. Um, and I just thought, oh my God, this is absolutely incredible. If you want a nice clean tom sound without the bleed of other instruments and other stuff around the kit, this is a really neat technique. Tutorial to follow, um, very, very cool. Needless to say, the soldering iron has been out and I've been making myself some Y-split cables. Some Y-split polarity invert, invert cables. <laughs> yeah, so one of the so one of the splits is is uh, out of phase to use the previous parlance, right? Polarity inversion. Uh, which of course the key thing is with a with a drum, when you hit the skin, if you had if they weren't out of phase, then you would have a challenge when you're mixing them together because one mic would be getting in the compre- downwards, in, yeah. yeah, the downward yeah. signal, and the other one would be getting the upward signal. So, so the good thing is that by having them out of phase like this, you actually get twice as much tom in the mic, and the uh, polarity inversion means that any anything common into both mics will cancel out. I was but, so hoping to get the use uh, the get the phrase compression and rare refraction in but uh, didn't get the opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> that one can go in the article. <laughs> Definitely. Good. Uh, Julian, what about you? Uh, mine was uh, a a thing that I found. Uh, it was a, it's a meta material. This is the second one of these that uh, that we've looked at recently. And there was a there was a thing a little while ago about this kind of thing that looked like a ring shaped thing you could put in a pipe, and it uh, it cancelled noise at a specific frequency. And I was saying that'd be really useful for air conditioning and stuff like that in in, in studios. Well, this is. This is an acoustic lens, which uh, it's it's kind of. I think they, all of these things are clever. People have now got access to three D printers, so they can make <laughs> things that they couldn't make before. So you get a, get a bunch of people at a university around a three D printer and go, let's make some crazy stuff, and they come up with things like this. They're amazing um, acoustic lenses that some, um, yeah, are passive passive devices that are kind of like Lego. And you can shape the wavefront in whatever way you like by exactly how 
you arrange the different the different uh, uh, Lego blocks. There'll be a piece coming up about it, but the, the gist of it is very simple in theory. It's you've got a little path, you've got a different path length through each block, each type of block, and each of those introduce uh, a phase shift, a very specific phase shift. So if you're across a surface introducing a different phase shift at each point, then you can do stuff to the sound. And I understood it as being kind of similar to the way a very clever thing um, engineers do at uh, big festival stages is they'll they'll do something quite similar with delays for a whole array of subs to shape the wavefront of the sub base to focus it on the crowd and not annoy the neighbours to stay legal with the council. It's 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 kind of a similar process to that, but much much smaller, little square thing. I was, ended up thinking almost like a lighting gel, <laughs> but for <laughs> but for sound, although it actually doesn't change the colour of it at all. It's clever. Really good. Metasonics are the are the company who are making it. They were designed in collaboration with academics at the University of Surrey. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, home, yeah. Of the, home of the Tonmeister course. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what they're talking about there. Uh, anyway, yeah. Mike, what about you? Uh, well, at, at NAB uh, this year, um, on the Avid stand, uh, sound designer Will Files was presented a Will Files presented a twenty eight minute tutorial in which he went through in very good detail how he built up the sound of the creature venom in the film of the same name and i was completely and utterly hooked all the way through because he uses like nine different plugins and he went through and brought each plugin in one at a time explained and demonstrated what it was adding to the sound of uh, the character uh, and worked his way through this uh, nine plugin uh, chain and uh, very very interesting so rather than a sort of glossed over oh you know this is how i did it bish bash bosh and you don't really get a sense of really what he actually did um in this uh video uh from nab from the avid stand uh will gives it gives away everything that he has done so uh look out uh we'll be putting together an article uh so you'll be able to watch that video um on the site as well so on that uh it's good night from me it's good night from me and it's good night from me good night and kevin rest in peace